pray for a moment. Lord, thank you this morning. Uh, We do want to build our lives upon your love, and it is our firm foundation. Holy Spirit, Spirit of love, would you come and fill us now. Fill the scriptures, fill my words, fill our hearts, and fill our minds that we might be led to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are beginning the season of Advent today. We've changed colors, we're lighting candles, and with it we begin a new sermon series called The Songs of Advent. We'll spend the next four weeks preparing for Christmas by looking at the songs associated with the first coming of Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at the Christmas story, and I don't mean the movie, I mean the Bible's account of Jesus' birth, the Son of God, the Savior of the world entering in. You see several themes just running all through those first couple of chapters of the Gospel of Luke. You see the presence, the power, and the activity of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people. You see faithful people, worshipful people, people who are overwhelmed by God. And you also see joy, the joy and wonder of a God who comes near to meet his people, to rescue his people, to engage with his people. And that produces these worshipful songs about Jesus. There's music running all through the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. What's amazing is that when God breaks into history, it's not songs like Jingle Bells or Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, right? Or I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus that erupt from the hearts of his people. Those might be catchy and they might be fun to sing, but but what comes forth from his people are these spirit-inspired songs of hope. Hope in the God who is, hope in the God who comes near, This long-awaited hope that God is making things right and God is making things new. And I suspect if you're like me, in this year of 2020, we could use some songs of hope and a recognition that God is making things new and God is making things right despite the way it looks, despite the way it feels And so we renew our hope this Advent as we move toward Christmas. These songs of Advent, which are really Christmas songs, are songs of rejoicing and songs that help us to prepare to celebrate the first coming and to prepare for his return again. Today we begin with the song of Elizabeth, Elizabeth's song in Luke 1. And it's a song of blessing. Everybody say blessing. Now, blessing is something that, at least here in the, in the South, we have some vague familiarity with, right? We bless our meals, and we bless your heart. We declare on our bumper stickers that God has blessed us. We're too blessed to be depressed, things like that. There's this cultural notion floating about that, that blessing has to do with God and with goodness, and that's right as far as it goes. But there's so much more according to the scriptures. In the Bible, the word blessed means blissful. We don't use that word a lot in our culture. It means favored and fortunate and happy, but not the kind of happy that means everything's going my way. I've got life by the horns, right? I'm getting it all done. I'm getting what I want. 
This, this biblical blessedness and this biblical happiness is more about a deep contentedness, an assurance in my life because I know that no matter what comes my way, no matter what the circumstances are that we face, a God of love and power and goodness and sovereignty and strength has us, has me and has you in his hands and is guiding us to home. And so we are blessed. Now, blessing is always connected to believing. But believing, of course, is more than sort of a mental game or a mental ascent. Believing is an action kind of word, a reality that moves in our lives that always leads to obedience, a yieldedness that moves to obedience. But it's not a slavish obedience, right? To the law, a set of rules that that we have to follow lest we be smashed by an angry God, lest we avoid some kind of divine punishment. No, it's an obedience that is born from love, motivated by love, leading to love, emanating from love, and is empowered by the Spirit himself. He always gives the grace to cause us to do what he asks of us to do. That's the kind of obedience that God is looking for. And so Elizabeth's song is this song of blessing. It's, y'all, it's a happy song. It's a really happy song. It's this spirit-filled song that you can, if you'll sit in it, you'll almost feel it bubbling up and overflowing with astonishment at the grace of God for those who believe. Three times, Elizabeth declares blessing. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who believed. There's this blessing that Elizabeth pronounces on Mary and upon her child and upon Elizabeth herself and upon women and upon all those who believe. Well, let's look at some of the blessings. The first blessing is the blessing of uniqueness. There is a uniqueness in the blessing that she pronounces. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary is absolutely unique in history. She is the unique woman. Not because she was sinless, she was not. That's not in this verse, though some have tried to make it fit in here. Only God is without sin. But Mary is blessed because she is the one whom God chose to uniquely carry out his plan. She was the one who birthed the Messiah, the Christ child. And she doesn't even have to announce it to Elizabeth that she's pregnant And who this child is, the Holy Spirit comes upon her and out of her flows this blessing, this spirit-inspired song of praise about the uniqueness of Mary, that she has experienced something no one else has. I think about the Christmas song. Um, Some of you may know it. Mary, Did You Know? It's a beautiful song. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm the storm with his hand? 
Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. And so Mary is to be esteemed, not worshipped, for her unique role in God's plan of salvation and redemption. Now, the second blessing is one of liberation. Everybody say liberation. liberation. Now, now this, is, this is what you might call true women's liberation, the most healthy and amazing kind right here in this verse. Now, men are not excluded from this liberation, um, so guys, don't tune out, but I'm really focusing on the women today because in my experience and even in my uh, ministry, I've given lots of sermons about men and not as many about women. So I'm glad there's a lot of ladies and young ladies with us today because this is where we see in the Scripture something beautiful emerging, particularly with regard to women. In Mary, and especially in the child, and through the child she bears, womankind is going to be liberated from the curse of Genesis 3. Now, if you remember Genesis 3, the fall, right? God pronounces the curse first upon Satan and basically says at the beginning of the book to the enemy of our souls, you're done. Like you're not going to win. Eventually, your downfall will come, right? This fallen angel is going to have this great enmity between the woman and there's going to be this long-standing hatred and enmity between Satan and the woman, between her offspring and his. And in this case, that just is a picture to say down through the ages, there's going to be this battle that's going on. And that then one day, the seed of the woman, right? It, it doesn't mention a man, by the way. From the seed of the woman comes the conqueror who will crush Satan's head. And of course, that's the overshadowing of Mary as the Holy Spirit comes upon him. There's no man involved. Right from the beginning of the book, God paints the mysterious picture of what will come from the seed of the woman, not the woman and the man, from the seed of the woman and God who comes upon her comes the one who will bruise and crush the head of Satan, though Satan will strike his heel. So God's word declared from the start that that the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Redeemer is going to come and the Messiah would liberate women from the curse of Genesis 3.16. Now, men too, theirs is in 17, but, but in 3.16, what is the curse that comes upon women? I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your, and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So there's this word of hope that comes, that is a response to and an answer for this curse that also comes. In a fallen world, and I don't have to tell you ladies this, but guys, it might be good for us to hear. In a fallen world, women have endured pain and sorrow and deep oppression. And this is a fact that the misogyny of this world and of men in particular have crushed women. And so either they've been vanquished to nothing or elevated to the status of goddess, both of which are the wrong positions. And, and yet, as you see in history, like prior to the coming of Christ, women were little more than, than, than property and baggage to be done with as men saw fit. And that usually meant a lot of violation and a lot of destruction. 
But when Jesus comes in the world, the seed of the woman, you see a reversal beginning to happen with regard to the curse and with regard to women. Look at Jesus' ministry. And Luke's gospel is profoundly uh, concerned with pointing out the role of women, of all the gospel writers. You suddenly have women among the disciples, and you know that had to freak out the men in a patriarchal society. You've got women disciples. You've got Mary sitting at his feet. This is not Mary the mother, but Mary Martha's sister, sitting at his feet, learning as a disciple. That is unheard of. You see the women at the resurrection, at the tomb. They are the ones who are the first evangelists and witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It isn't the men. The apostles were all hiding in the upper room. It's the women who faithfully hold on to their faith and whom Christ raises up. In the early church, you suddenly see women in leadership in the church. This was unheard of. And while some people critique, particularly the Apostle Paul, because they're like, well, Paul put down women. No, he didn't. You have to understand the culture in which he was writing was so down on women that everything that he was beginning to raise up, which was the logical movement of the gospel with regard to the vanquishing of the curse and this restoration and renewal of things, everything he wrote was so radical. And of course, now we live in a day and an age where that has moved out further and further so that women have status in society, not as baggage, not simply as those to be adorned or have on a man's arm or good for birth and nothing more. This is the logical outflow of the gospel and of Jesus Christ entering in to restore what was lost in the curse. Now, it's not done. It won't be completed until he returns. And any one of you who's lived a bit of life knows that as a woman, as a girl, you still face hardship just because you're a girl or a woman. And if you live long enough, there are some deep pains. And I know in this room, I'm sure, as in every room when I speak with women, there's, there's a heartache that you've borne just because you're women. But, but what I want to encourage you is in this blessing of liberation that has begun in the Messiah that comes through Mary, but through the Messiah. There's the restoration that is promised. And so those places where your heart has been wounded, those places where you have been oppressed, those places where you have been harmed, those are places that your God knows and cares about. And if you bring those places of wounding to him, he will bring healing. That is the heart of our God. And that is the heart of this text. So much of what Elizabeth is pouring out toward Mary is this blessing and this declaration that would come down of liberty and freedom. The world can't deliver that. Only the Spirit of God can deliver that. And so there's this liberation from oppression that has begun. Now the third blessing is the blessing of belief. For time's sake, I'm just going to touch on this one. I mean... Think about what Elizabeth emphasizes at the very end. It's sort of the heart of this song is Mary's faith. Blessed is she that believed. And if you think about Elizabeth and Mary, think about the kind of faith that they had. Remember, Elizabeth's husband, Zacharias, did not believe, and he was mute for the, for the pregnancy. But Elizabeth believed, even though she was in her old age and she was called barren. Now think about that for a minute. Like, she's labeled barren. 
which, which means that's like a moniker that's been put on her. So if any of you have ever had a bad nickname and you know the pain under that, imagine this is the label that's been put upon her. But when the, when the angel comes and declares she's going to have this child even in her old age, she believes. And here is Mary, who's on the opposite side of things, a virgin who's not yet fully married. She's betrothed. And the angel says, you too are going to have a baby. And though she's like, how could this possibly be? She still believes. And we know she believes because of her words. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. There's this incredible yieldedness of faith. The blessing of belief. There is no blessing apart from belief. Belief leads to blessing. Blessing leads to belief. They go hand in hand. A willingness to lay down her life even though it would bring a sword to her own heart. A willingness to believe God's word to her even though she couldn't fully figure it out. She understood nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. That's what the angel declared. And that's what Mary believed. And we've all been blessed as a result. Anytime we have faith, God is pleased. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's Hebrews chapter 11. And that whole chapter about faith is all about people who believed and acted upon their belief. And as a result, the blessing of God, the activity of God, the goodness of God, the purpose of God was fulfilled in their lives. We are saved by grace through faith, through belief. Because Mary believed the word of God, she experienced the power of God. And here's the thing, that has not changed. So where do you find your heart? As we enter into Advent in a year of disappointments, in a year of frustrations, in a year of heartache and grief, is your heart in a place of belief? And if it's not, then ask the Lord to renew and restore, to give you the very thing that he asks of you, the blessing of belief. That as we journey to Christmas, we might rejoice in the appearing of our Savior and we might hold firm in the hope that our Savior will return. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word and thank you for the fact that you restore, you make things new, you make beautiful things, Lord. You take things that are not and you make them to be. You take things that are broken and you heal them. You take things, Lord, that have been lost and you make them found. Would you do that work in our hearts where we're tired, where we're lonely, where we're struggling, and would you restore and renew faith, belief, We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.